Are you aware of the patterns that have been passed down in your family for generations? Do you know the stories of victory that exist within your lineage? What do family, tribes, and ancestors have to do with finding home within yourself? On this episode, we begin the journey of finding home outside of ourselves. I talked to Acheng Julieta, a proud African and the founder of the Cautious Africans, who is passionate about personal development, well-being, and prosperity. I talked to her about her personal journey of finding home in her room. Hi guys, welcome back to this week's episode of the Can We Talk podcast. It's your girl Belinda, also known as Muna Kampala, and I'm excited to be back. We're continuing to find home on this season, and we're finding home in our roots today. I have an interesting guest who, as always, as always, will introduce themselves, but from my end, we have Julieta. Uh, Julieta has been, I've known Julieta for a while now, actually. I think since we were in high school. Um, she's a friend, she's an engineer, she's a thinker like me, and she's the founder of the Conscious Africans, which is a new body that seeks to consciously and purposefully address our issues, especially as Africans of our generation. Um, but she'll let us know more about herself. I'm excited for this one. You guys will be like, okay. <laughs> so, hi, Julieta. What up? What up? Um, Hi everyone, uh, the audience of Can We Talk podcast. Um, yeah, uh, about myself, I'm an engineer, civil and environmental engineer. I'm currently working in Uganda as a freelance engineer, I'm testing out my skills in project management. And uh, basically, I'm in a very in that space, I'm learning, so I'm open to different types of tasks as long as my spirit feels like that there's something for me in that kind of thing, I'll go for it. Um, other than that, as Belinda said, um, I founded an association called the Conscious Africans, and the purpose behind putting together this collective and, you know, starting to raise a community around this idea of consciousness is, I realized that it was something that was picking up, you know, in our generation around the world, just people wanting a more holistic experience of life uh, outside a predominantly mental one. And I saw that for us as Africans, this could be an opportunity for us to really transcend some of the challenges that have held us in stagnation over the last, I would say, 50 years since we became independent. Uh, some of these plights that come in because of our group identity politics, um, our history in terms of our societies and how our leadership, our collaboration has been impacted by events like slave trade, you know, events like um, the lack of uh, African Union that's fully functional. All these different things that have tried to come about to unite Africans in a real valuable way and haven't met their fulfillment, you know, in terms of potential. I just felt like the Conscious Africans was my way of keeping that energy alive. 
um, trying to get some value out of Pan-Africanism because it is one of those things that Africans can benefit from if it's actively present in their lifestyle and in their lives. So yeah, and so far it's going well. We are always looking for new people to build synergy with because we really believe in the energy of the conscious Africans being about creating synergy around the ideas so that we can use that synergy to execute action points between ourselves in a collaborative way. So yeah, that's that's quite as much as I can say about that and a small brief intro into who I am or what I'm Thank doing. Thank you. So before we get into the conversation of finding home in your roots, I just have to ask for for the people of our, Africa is not a country. Why the cautious Africans and not the cautious Ugandans? Is it because, like, do you plan to expand across Africa or you're just like, well, there's a reason why you said Africans as opposed to Ugandans? Yeah. I just have to ask because I know some people are like, sure, Africans. Especially think... being here, we, I know <laughs> the pain point of people when they're like, African? We're not Africans. We're not Africans. I'm me, I'm, I'm Ugandan. Me, I'm Kenyan. Mm. Me, I'm Senegalese. Um, to be fair, I think for me, why the conscious Africans is that when I lived in Australia during my undergrad uh, program, when I was there, I realized that one, I had quite a number of friends from different parts of Africa. So the immediate thing that struck me is how similar, aside from obviously Mm. being black, the cultures were like real serious similarities. The humor, the The vibrance, the language. Like my Zimbabwean friends would speak in 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 Shona or in Debele, and you can you've not understood the language, but the joke has landed for you. You get, you know. So things like that really made me confirm that there is such a thing as an African identity, and actually experience what those common things are in those factors. And I think what made it very obvious for me was that I also had friends who are not African. And in a similar way, there are just some things which, like, you could say to them and it wouldn't resonate in the same way as it resonate with your friend who's from Africa, irrespective of where they were from. And for me, what even made it more interesting to observe was that even when you were dealing with people who, let's say, first generation, second generation immigrants in Australia, but African, even then, like those moments where you know you're just vibing, and it's like, yeah, this is this is how I know that they, this is what it means to be African. You get the fact that, yeah, we I have this kind of relationship going with this person who ideally I do not know two things about, you know, yeah, but in this I moment, those few things are, are enough for us to feel like we've known each other for some good time, at least, you know. So that's why the conscious Africans, that's one. But also, when you look at the nations that constitute African nations, and from that friendship that I had with all these other people who are from Africa during my university days, as we would talk seriously about Africa as a group of people, because I used to be part of the African Students Association at the University of Queensland. I was on the, um, the council for the association as marketing director for a year. And being in those kind of spaces brings you more brings your attention to the more serious issues going around or affairs concerning Africa as a whole in that sense as a grouping. Mm. 
one of the things that I realized is that the plight of stagnation in Africa also has very similar um, issues concerning the inability for development to happen at the pace or at the potential of Africa as a continent today. And it got me thinking, um, fine, getting Pan-Africanism to happen in African politics is a big shot. Why? Because the factors that are limiting Pan-Africanism from being effective are in play and they are known. You don't need to look so deep into the affairs of African states to realize why there is minimum inter-political exchanges in terms of value resources that happens within the African nations amongst each other. And we've only started to perfect the relationships that happen at the trading groups in regions, regional trading groups, ECOWAS, EAC, those kind of things. So I feel like the next logical step is for us to find a way to now spread our networking abilities and the value that could come out of that across Africa so that we can actually begin to overcome some of these challenges that are present because of the lack of that. You get what I'm saying? So that was another reason for the reason for the conscious Africans that we must create. I feel like it is important for us as Africans to create spaces where a person from Senegal has enough reason to interact with a person from Uganda on the basis of this common identity of Africanism. You get eh? Like what value is there that can be exchanged? We have to, we are just in the phase of exploring that value more than what has already been done by previous generations or what we are finding in place. I feel like that's an area that still has more potential. In terms of identity, this is not about identifying with your Africanness and therefore your Ugandanness. Um, Uganda is a country in Africa and Ugandans, by virtue of being in Africa, have some kind of co-resonance, some similarities, I would say, with other Africans. You get what I'm saying? So this is not going to stop you from being Ugandan. And in fact, if someone stopped you in the street and said you're an African, you have every right to be like, by the way, no, I'm a Ugandan. Because at that sense, there is no need for you to group me at that macro level. Why? We are not the same in that sense. You cannot just see me walking on the street and choose to identify me at the level of African because at that level, what is the value of grouping me in that sense? You're not carrying, you get what I'm saying? It's, you're just kind of reducing me to this macro set. So I can understand mm-hmm. why people get offended by that, but that's not the direction. This is not to force everyone to find some kind of identity grounding in this Africa. It's not by force of, you should be proud. How dare you, you <laughs> not be proud? In fact, we are so special. What? No, no, no. It's none of that kind of, you know, we were kings, we were queens. It's not, it's not, it's not yeah. one of those kind of things. It's just, this is the value that's available. Can we tap into it? Yes. And if we are to tap into it, how can we make it a valuable exchange between ourselves and the bigger, the better, I think, in the sense of what constitutes who's African and who's not in that sense. Yeah, man, I love the vision. I love the vision. So getting into the conversation for today, I'd like to ask each of the guests, because again, home has different definitions. 
And I want to ask you, what does finding home mean to you? It could be either finding home specific in your roots, which is what we're talking about today, or just finding home within yourself in in line with the the rest of the season. What does finding home mean to you? This is this is an overlap episode for me because it's also something that I touch on with um, my content for a conscious AJ, which stands for a conscious a change later. And finding home. I think the best way I can describe finding home is exactly how I perceive our human nature, whereby you can talk of there being an internal experience, an an individual experience, and then there is the external experience where everybody else comes in, the rest of creation comes in to be part of your external experience of life, right? So there is finding home with yourself as an individual internally, right? Then there is finding home with the external, which is about finding belonging, which is about finding validation, which is about having community. And the value that comes from having all those kind of um, structures to benefit from at that level. So that's why... In that sense, it is important, you know, when, when our parents, especially for us as Africans, you know, you, you, you grew up, say, perhaps in the city, but you found that your parents always insisted on taking you to your village, taking you so that you can benefit from having that external community to your individual self, you know. They are in their own way passing on that network for you to have that kind of binding to the external world, a starting point in that sense. And that's what family provides us with. And that's what then community, uh, whichever way we, we, we found our bombs in terms of community level, that's how we begin to, to validate the connections that matter in that sense versus the ones that don't matter or the ones which we are willing to trade to form others, you know. Uh, yeah, so that's how for me I perceive finding home. There is the, in, the aspects which are internal, and aspects which are external. And in terms of finding home in your roots, uh, finding home in your roots is a rather is a topic that mostly touches on the factors that come to be external, especially from the family perspective, uh, the your lineage, your ancestry, that kind of connection. And I find that to be a very interesting topic for us Africans because I like to say, like, for instance, uh, people who are of Indian culture or people who are of Asian culture, say Chinese, Japanese, they have access to their culture dating back 500 years ago. That is something Mm -hmm. that us Africans today we have lost. So for a lot of us, when we are trying to dive into our roots beyond the understanding of who our father, mother, and if we are lucky enough to have understood or have had a meaningful relationship with our grandparents, that is as far as we can explore our roots in terms of ancestry and lineage. Other than that, we have the tribal systems, the tribal cultures, which expand what defines our roots based of what has survived as the unique cultures to each group you get like how for instance the 
Baganda have their gomesi, but the gomesi also, you know, was given to us by Indians. Eh? An Indian tailor is the mm-hmm. one who made it. So that's why that one, even if you are in Uganda, you can't really claim it as yours because it was given to us. But now, for instance, things like the clan system of Buganda and how important that is to the point that even today you can fall in love with someone, but the minute that person is your clansmate, my friend, that love can disappear. You see what I'm saying? Like those yeah. kind of influences of those cultures um, are lingering in terms of how we can express what constitutes our roots and what kind of falls out of scope. So I would say that finding home in your roots or in one's roots as an African is a very huge explorative journey. Like you're going to learn so much and you're probably going to realize a lot which you have to also unlearn. So it's so funny that you say that because for me, um, I shared this on the previous season as well. People should mm-hmm. check out the last season. We had an interesting season on taboo topics of Uganda. Yeah. And in one of the episodes, Tribalism, I was talking that for me, um, as I've grown and I was having conversations with my grandmother and I was reading books, I started discovering there are actually a lot of resources that are by Ugandans and by our ancestors. Mm. Like even when I started going to the last time I was in Uganda, I entered one of the caves. You know, these these ancestral places we have that yes, growing yes. up, you would be like, ah, I don't want to go. I went with one of the men and we entered mm. the cave. He showed me the why they cover some of the gods with this and he explained things to me. And I was like, Kind of all these things are still here, even in reading like Makubuya's book, for example, who talks about pre-colonial Buganda. Um, recently, a comic book came out called, it's, I, actually, I can't wait for, for that thing to get even bigger, called The Legend of Buganda. And they're trying to, I think that's important too, because if you're showing our history in a way that's boring, if you put it in a comic book, it's more interesting. So for me, I remember when I read The Legend of Buganda and seeing how the King Mwanga was making his decisions. Like, it looked like the way you would read about the Bible and see King Solomon. Eh? Like, that's how they kind of pictured it. And I was like, hey, this, they're lucky that the kids who are coming up, um, our generation is more um, in tune with trying to find out who we were before the colonizers. I saw recently... An Instagram post, for example, not post, sorry, an Instagram account. Well, it's not an Instagram account because I have a Twitter account. An organization called the Citizen Report Uganda, for example, that posts about different districts and what 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 was there in those districts before and how the judiciary system works. Like things I did not know. I'm like, hey, this is how judiciary are Uganda waiting to go Um, But seeing that they are these resources, they are people interested in these things. Why then do we shy away from them? Or even getting back actually to your definition of home, um, the separate, I like the se- the separation between the self and the external. Because now we're in the external parts of this season. So the first three episodes yeah. have been on finding home I, on your soul, in your mind, in your body, and that was mainly mm. about yourself. And yeah, now and, and, and I've been following this series more than 
your other ones. So yeah, I'm aware that there yeah. was already that. So that's I was confident yeah. in mentioning that because I knew you understood the distinction I was making quite um, yeah. clearly. But I want I want to see if like there's a as we branch into the second part of the season mm. where we're discovering the external, seeing that all that comes back to you. I mean, you can't the self can the be internal. supported without community. Without for example. Yeah. So um and let's let me start by asking you that. You mentioned mm. having studied in Australia and then you mm. came back home home in terms of Uganda now, mm. Ragai, don't yeah. confuse yeah. the homes. Why was it important for you to move back home in terms of Uganda? Was there something that you couldn't find home within yourself with, in a different country? Or Ooh. that was a whole other thing? Yeah, the, the, the immigration um, dream, which is mm-hmm. the easier journey for the African in terms of especially um, options. I mean, I've not said holistically. I've not seen, I've not said holistically. I'm saying in terms of finances. Yeah. Can be, Mm -hmm. let's be, let's be real. If, if, if you Mm -hmm. set yourself up well in that, in the systems that are abroad, especially Mm -hmm. if you, if you're focused, eh? it's a straightforward path. You get, you just have to give your time to hustle it the way it should be hustled. Mm-hmm. But once you've hustled it, your income can immediately surpass the income of your age mate who might be putting in the same effort in trying to follow through on the structural points of getting to where they need to go within the systems that are on ground. So that's the advantage of that, right? But the question which you're asking, um, yes, I came home with deliberate intention, absolutely. It was simple. Right. In order for me to do the conscious Africans, I knew I had lived the diasporan experience for five years, and that made me feel like I wasn't sure if whatever approach the conscious Africans needed to be. At that time, it was still in the conceptual phase of an idea, I would say. Not an idea, because I had started it as a blog, and then I had first kind of paused on executing it because I realized that the needs for developing as an African, my needs were transcending what a blog could do. So I had that question of, okay, what does the conscious African need to be in order for it to be impactful in achieving this dream or this goal that it has, right? Which the mission and the vision is directly measured by the impact on the standard of living because I think that for me is where I felt such a huge gap between myself as an African versus other people whose um, ethnicity and external grouping at community level gives them a different kind of um, starting package in terms of experiencing life right so I came back to Uganda because I wanted whatever the conscious Africans was going to be, to be relevant, one, to Ugandans on ground and Africans on ground. And I felt that, well, if Uganda is by extension an African country, then to some level, whatever structure we would be able to set up, if it can work in Uganda, then it would most likely be able to expand on ground into other African countries, right? So that was the first thing that brought me back in terms of wanting to do something intentional there. 
But also, I felt that the question of how to get the internet working and the collaboration was more demanding on ground than it was within the diaspora. I felt like when I would listen to my friends who are living in Canada, in the USA, in China, in the UK, um, in Europe, a lot of the Africans who are in these places had found ways to start collaborating and bringing about unity between themselves, irrespective of which African countries they originate from. And yet I was not sure of what that effort uh, accumulated to in terms of on ground. So I kind of came back to test on ground for myself. What is happening on ground in terms of the dynamics happening in Africa? How does it feel for your life to be in that dynamic, set up in that dynamic? I wanted to experientially know those kind of things uh, as I clarified on what needed to happen or what TCA needed to be for it to achieve its goals, right? That was one. The second part was I had honestly missed home. Man, you know how these streets can be when you're out there dealing with certain people. Africans are at the bottom of the hierarchy in terms of respect and being seen as equal in potential and capability with other human beings out there. So after a while, man, you just get tired of having to prove yourself to people who don't matter in the grand scheme of things, yeah? Mm. And proving yourself not because you want to, but because now your survival in that world is hinged on it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So after I'd done that for five years, honestly, I was like Mfachi. And mm. as you know, the process for getting papers, <laughs> the process for getting Mfachi. papers requires you to first not you first don't go home for about two years or about what? Oh, really? Or, uh, yeah, like, like you in know Australia you're not allowed to go home. Not that you're not years. allowed, but the way they count like there's this system where they count your days of consistent stay in Australia. To show that you're so in love with this place that that's why you even want papers. You're like, guys, I'm cool. This is now my new home. And interestingly enough, I even used to get that a lot of, that That was a very big question that Australians would ask. So do you want to stay after here? And mm. you're like, no, I'm okay. Oh, you don't find this place home? Like you don't like, you think it's not better than home? And I'm like, I feel like it's my second home. Yeah. <laughs> like it's 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 home after home like it's good but i i don't want to trade it like i'm not trading home for this i don't yet feel like this place can offer me the same kind of connection like yeah. man me i go to entebbe i go to the water by the lake and i'm just like wow like god chose me to be a part of this like i'm so aware of how much value spiritually Lake Naluvali holds, you know? And in the same way you were talking about the history of Buganda and stuff like that, I feel like in terms of finding home in your roots, once you become curious eh, about your ancestry, the information begins to show up. Poop! Mm-hmm. But it's not information that's, not going, that's going to find you without that curiosity. It's really mostly the curiosity that gets you moving in the direction where you actually start to see that, wow, there's actually quite a lot of information that's still readily available to give me enough of a foundation in terms of appreciating um, my journey of life as per how those who came before me lived it, yeah? And one of the most powerful things I found about revisiting my ancestry when I became curious about it, really, 
outside the information that had been given to me from a westernized education, you know, and a British curriculum, a British Ugandan curriculum of education is what I mean, whereby the kingdom of Buganda, the kingdom of uh, Ankole, the kingdom of Bunyoro Kitara, these are all things which are covered in three, three pages. Mm. In one textbook, you can imagine. So really, you're, unless you're going to, to... Yeah, like the there, there is no... So like you can imagine. So you remember, they listed, they like, listed you know? all the kings. They listed all the kings from the time when the British came. Each king had like a paragraph like this in the SST mm. book. You know? What's that going to help you in terms of seeing someone's leadership potential, in terms of seeing someone's goals, in terms of seeing how they were trying to develop their community? You have no connection yeah, to understand how they were that. Collaborating. Yeah, but then same thing. I happen to get curious. Um, my father is a Japadola, my mom is a Muganda. So for me, by extent, that became part of my ancestral story. And the information about Buganda happens to be a bit more readily available than the information concerning um, my Japadola ancestry. But the advantage that I have at a family level is that my family is so well, like they have their history well documented, either through stories or the elders who are there. They know a lot about our clan. They know about, like, I, they even have stories of my grandfather. He was a musician. Uh, my great-grandfather, he was a musician, a very famous musician, and it so turns out that, um, you know, there was a time when Kakungulu mm. visited, you know, the East during those times of trying to, you know, negotiate for, 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 for territory on behalf of the British. And when he came to Japland, my hey. great-grandfather performed for him. Hey, you better know. <laughs> because he was by that time he was the like he was the the royal chief's musician. You get he was like the musician. So what happened is I think some at some point in his life over something happened and someone shunned him for being a musician that he converted and because of the timelines coinciding with the British uh influence coming, he became a chief. So he became a chief because he was able to collaborate with the British in terms of helping them secure their, you get. So he goes from being a musician, he becomes a chief. Because he becomes a chief, my grandfather gets education in the British system. Because my grandfather gets education in the British system, he becomes a teacher. Because he becomes a teacher in Obote's time, he's taken to Western Uganda Western Uganda, my father and his brothers get this experience of another part of Uganda. So it's like all these things, I'm aware of them in terms of my uh, lineage story and different dynamics, mm. especially in terms of how I get to live the life that I'm living in terms of privilege. I can mm. see how God has kept on increasing that privilege through the generations down. Mm. And I can see that without certain, in, without certain crucial points, I can see where the butterfly effect takes effect in terms of the history and the path. Yeah. So I become very grateful of everything that has gone into me having the opportunities that I have, you know? Yeah. Because I, I feel, that. I can feel the connection of how God kept on incrementally changing mm. dynamics so that those who carried the bloodline forward were in a different situation than what the ones who had come before 
had, but also you get to judge those who came before fairly because you can envision the society they are in. You can envision the dynamics of their considerations. In that sense, some of the information that I found very valuable was uh, similarly, I think it was Kabaka Mwanga's father, Mutebi the first. Is it not so? Uh, and he was the last Kabaka to move his uh, palace. And he moved his palace to Mengo. And after that, it never moved from Mengo. Because at the time, the British then took over certain parts of the land and all those things happened. But one of the things that I found out, and it, this is, was from a book that was held within our national um, museum library. It's a book. It talks about the Buganda Hills and their significance. Um, the reason why Kabaka moved his palace to Mengo was because at that time, Buganda was expanding its navy to be one of the key players in the trade that was happening on the what they call the Northern Route. And by the way, the, the northern route of trade is still the most dominant route. And that is why now that the, the southern route, if you remember the map, there used to be the southern route, which used to connect from Tanzania going to South Africa. And then there was a route which used, the, 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 two, the, the two routes which used to go up used to split. One used to go from Lake Victoria through Tanganyika, through Rwanda, into Congo. The other one used to come like this through Uganda, through Kenya, connecting up to Sudan. And then there was a branch that used to come branching off from this trade route that used to pass through Congo, and then it would come and cover back crossing to the Nilotic lands and the, the, the southern Sudan lands, right? So by the time the British came and did all these railway lines and all that along those routes, they're not the ones who invented the trade routes. They had found them there. So, so, so just to put that into context of why the Kabaka had to move his palace from the sides of Budo, a lot of times the palace used to be in those kind of realms because previously, when there were those battles of territory between the Baganda and the Banyoro, it made sense for the Kabaka to be slightly nearby the, 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 war, the, the, the war bases so that he could organize the troops and they could do the military strategies quite effectively in terms of sending out the troops to go and secure the territories that had been conquered. So because at that time, at that point in time, Buganda had pretty much secured majority of the territories over Bunyoro Kitara, the now focus in terms of development was the lake and the economic potential the lake was providing by being a quick route of moving goods from the Kenyan port, which is now the famous Kisumu, down to this side where we have that activity at Port Bell and all those places. So by the time the the British bring their steamboat to Port Bell and all these interesting fast steamboat bichi 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 bichi, our Buganda kings had been focused on growing those ports so that the people of Kisumu are aware that they can bring goods this side and get them traded successfully along further the route. So yeah, just knowing that my God, these guys were actually developmental. You get they were not just wasting time. There's a way when you see us where we're operating from today, you're like, haven't we gone a bit backward in terms of standards? You get. Because these are people who had less technology, less information, and yet they could stand in their own and come up with a developmental aim and execute it. Why have we failed to be those people anymore? 
if you, you see what I'm saying, now I have proof. I have proof that this is something that's not new. That for Africans or for me as a as a Ugandan, and therefore as someone who shares in the in the ancestry of Buganda as a person who has a, a, a mom a mother who's a Muganda, it just places me in that context of these things we are trying to do, where we say that let people come together, let them have a developmental point, let them achieve success in those developmental points. I'm not the first person in my lineage trying to do it. I'm not the first person in this. You get, I'm not the first person to live here in Buganda or this particular area trying to do this. Um, there are also stories about environmental conservation efforts that used to happen here in Buganda. Uh, there are stories about like when the lake would get dirty, how they would like strategize, they would change the farming pattern so that the lake gets time to heal when they've overfished the lake and stuff like that. And a lot of these techniques, I found this out when my mom was writing a report about the status of fishery and the lake in Uganda. Uh, and the guys who had the most knowledge about how to manage the lake in all its difficulties were the guys who had gotten these stories from their grandfathers, what, 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 who had been in the profession for that long, as in these guys' great-grandparents had been fishermen from the time when Buganda was still in its full right as Buganda without the foreign, without the foreign um, masters and all those colonial masters' stories, right? So these guys, because that information had lasted that long, information which is now coming to be relevant 100 years later, yeah, it is the guys whose parents or whose family lineages had that profession coming down that were able to describe the changes that were happening in the lake and the things which were actually affecting the lake vis-a-vis -vis its initial condition. You get what I'm saying? So when you see, for you to be dealing with the challenges that are facing the lake right now and hearing people telling you stories and those stories are immediately holding relevance. You get, you're like, you get, they actually knew the lake, they actually knew the fish, they actually knew how to have fishing as a sustainable economic activity. They knew. So us who are failing to do it, we are the ones who have failed. We are not just failing because maybe this has... No, we are actually failing because there is a way in which we are failing to, to get the knowledge. But the knowledge has already been discovered. It has already been applied. You called it learning your, where your privilege comes from. Yeah. I like to say where your power comes yes, from. Because yes. knowing all these stories... Because even for me, when I listen to my grandmother, for example, mm. tell me, um, the things she had to do as they went through the war yeah. as a mother and yeah. carrying her kid and doing this. It's like, eh, if this woman can do this, me, who am I like not to be able to do this? So even looking at it from a place of power, yeah, um, like you've mentioned the Baganda and everything. I love that. Bagai, history, Mumuli Day. Many of these histories is available. And Very I love that you said once you're curious, it will come to you. Exactly. Because it's actually available. Yeah. There's even someone who tried to do a YouTube video on it. So I love that you said when you're curious about it, you can find it. And also how learning, for example, if your grandfather was a musician, I can imagine if you had like, if someone in your generation now wants to be a musician, like I mean, you can understand where, like, yeah. One of my cousins, uh, Sharon, 
mm. Sharon Onyango Bo. She's she's a music producer and she has it. Like mm. she, she, and for 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 us, it's just like yeah, because now for us, I grew up. You know, all of my grandfather, my grand uncle, they all played an instrument. Um, my dad, my mm. brother, they also used to play instruments. Like basically even my sister elaine she was with a band when she was like around my age she used to play with a band she just kind of remained musical but kind of never continued to pursue it in that very um uh i would say career path or something like that but yeah like it shows up today and you're like yeah, I can understand why this is happening. You know, I can mm. understand why. Like, and for me that, why for me that resonates so much is that if I have a child, when I have a child, I want to mm. have children. I'm not torn about that. But when I have a child, <laughs> like when I have children, if my child now one day wakes up and decides that I can see music is calling them, I'm going to fully mm. embrace them in that journey because I can see the spiritual alignment at a at an ancestry level that's drawing my child towards that kind of passion, you know? And I think yeah. the real value in terms of being connected to your roots and having enough curiosity to get more information about it is that also you your some of your natural talents show their 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 origin. You get you can be the yeah, younger, yeah, you're yeah, saying, yeah, yeah, hey, Jeta, yeah. people are telling you, hey, Jeta, you talk a lot, what, what, hey, Jeta, you should be a lawyer, and you think maybe it's you, you, and then you find out that you had a grandmother or a great-grandmother or someone in your family who was the storyteller of, you get, that child. So just knowing yeah. that thing of, oh, this is where that thing, it gives you that confidence, you know, it gives you that confidence mm-hmm. to do whatever it is you're doing, knowing that, ah, this thing, it's in the blood, it's in the blood, you know? Yeah. It gives you that that vibrance when you're testing yourself up in terms of exploring that skill. And that's really the connection, yeah. the value of it. But I would like to also talk about finding home individually and connecting that to your roots because no, um before we get into that i wanted to ask you something still with regard to um the generation and finding out the power and stuff yeah because a lot of finding home within yourself is also like we've mentioned in previous episodes it's about also finding out the dark yeah, um, yeah exactly. so for me i've been finding a lot of generational patterns that i need to change for my kids um a big one we talked about in the last season was the cultural silence mm. where in our families we don't talk about things or because as baganda you know mm. or things like that and seeing the impact from generation to generation yeah. like the negative impact maybe emotionally yeah. or mentally and stuff and then seeing how it has resonated into me and becoming aware of the dark that we also carry from generation, Mm. especially coming back to the beginning when you talked about the conscious Africans, you mentioned, you know, slave trade. I know Africans, we don't talk about slave trade because, oh, um, black Americans thing, but you have to understand that the Africans who are selling fellow Africans, like there's that deep rooted, you know, the trust that you have, especially in areas that were very heavily like slave mm, um, kind of areas, mm. yeah, there is like that deep level. We don't have trust, you know, 
um, learning that, okay, these things are deeper than us because, okay, it's not just about our generation that I don't know why. So I want to go into that as well in terms of the dark and breaking it for the next... Breaking it no, down. let's not talk about the next generation, but how have you found home within trying to accept the darkness and trying to find a light within it, like change it for your next, who you want to be next, or who you are now, actually. Why next? Kati, that's who we are now. Um, who I am now. Yeah. One, I would really like to refer to a poem called A House Called Tomorrow. And if you, it's by Alberto Reyes. I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name, but that's the guy. Alberto Rios, R-I-O-S, and Alberto with an O. Yeah. So when you read that poem, it taps into one, the glory of your ancestry, the power, right? Now, in terms of the dark side and bringing in the story of slavery, with the Conscious Africans, we started our book club session. We started with a book called Homegoing by Yagasi. So for us, the reason why we did Homegoing first was um, to just kind of ground people in something that wasn't... You know, when you bring people too close to home, sometimes you can trigger them and throw them off. But yeah, Kinto is in the lines. It's, it's, it's in the works. It's there. It's on the, it's on the to-read list. Cause it's, and for us Ugandans, it's, it's a good one for us Ugandans. It really helps us start to dig these questions right where we need to start them from, like this whole issue with witchcraft. Mm. You know, it, comes, it brings us right square on with some of those questions. But the reason why I was referencing homegoing is that the, the topic of spirituality, uh, of sorry, of slavery. One of the things that came up while we were doing the book club discussion from one of the people who attended uh, one of our guests at TCA's discussion was someone who said that you see, the thing about us Africans where we have where we are now is that as we acknowledge our strengths, we have to acknowledge our weaknesses that have come down through history. And the story of slavery shows us some of the weaknesses that were in the fabric of our society at that time that led us to the consequences of the narrative we've faced in post-slavery. And the reason why we've faced some of those challenges is because we have never actually seen them for what they are and we've never seen their generational pattern in that continuous way for us to actually be like, you know what, as a collective, we are struggling with this and this. And it has come from yeah. our parents, our gen- You get like our grandparents, it's, it has that lineage oh, pattern of being passed down to it. So one of the reasons why we chose Homegoing and why I like also why Chintu is a book that is in line for discussion for us today as conscious Africans is because you have to face that history and see those weaknesses for what they are. There is no other way for you to overcome them. There is no other way where you can try to um, kind of paint a rosy picture around them when the reality of the consequences of those weaknesses has shown itself in our stagnation journey and in our slowdown in terms of development since this incident happened. You get us as Africans. Since slavery happened, we slowed down between the impacts of slavery 
then the, 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 the following impacts of colonialism, colonialism and then the following impacts of neocolonialism. All these three mm-hmm. things did not just happen to us because God was letting them happen to us. They happened to us because of certain weaknesses. And it is not so much mm-hmm. that foreigners, even up to today when I say foreigners, like how you see the Chinese are taking advantage of our nations. It is not because mm-hmm. those people are superior to us. It is because they are aware of our weaknesses in a way that we are not. And so they come and yeah. manipulate our weaknesses and get the better of us, right? So mm-hmm. I think for us, it's just the fact of the work that we need to do at uh, at a community level, at a macro level, we need to first of all mm. become more aware of our strengths. And that's the good thing. The history, the ancestry gives both the information on the strengths and the weaknesses. And that's how mm. life is. Everything is in balance between those two, the good and the bad, you know, that, that kind of thing. What is wanted and what is not wanted. The, these things coexist together in every present moment. So a lot of times, sometimes people can't deal with the shame of the loss of the battles that happened in slavery. They can't deal with the shame of the loss of the battles that happened during the colonial era. But I always tell people, I'm like, you don't even know also the stories of your victories as Africans. And that's why sometimes we get Mm. too focused on the stories of the losses. And I feel like sometimes we even talk about ourselves in a generally negative light. The problem with Africans, you know, like, and especially like when I was in Australia, out here, like black people comfortably talking about that stuff, you know. At school, Africans are so backward. The challenge with Africans, they can't organize. The challenge with African leaders is this and this. Like, African leaders did not come up with those characteristics out of the blue. Those characteristics are in our African leaders because they're in our society. They are in our fabric of society. By the time they enter the leadership, it's because they are that dominant energetically. So if you're going to separate yourself from the bad leadership because you think they are of a certain quality and you're of a different quality, you're deceiving yourself. Those guys Mm. are part of our fabric at a macro level as a society. So when we start to address the weaknesses, you cannot afford to separate yourself and try to act like an individual. You will not reflect on those weaknesses at the level at which you need to reflect on and the acceptance that needs to happen there. And that that touches on why the, the journey to group esteem for Africans is very slow developing. Because Africans have such a high level of self-esteem, but our group esteem is very low compared to other groupings of people around the world and so even though we have quite significant populations within diaspora communities those diaspora communities have not necessarily created a utopia for themselves the way we see arabs create utopias the way we see chinese create utopias for themselves within their diaspora communities african communities haven't been able to do that within their diaspora the most successful story we have of that is within the francophone branch of the diaspora where we can see those people actually thriving in a way as an African community away from what would typically be called home. So I think that that kind of introspection and learning and unlearning journey is something that we have to do together as a generation. We have to kind of see those things that have been passed down in terms of patterns which just don't serve us. You know, they that. They might be what is seen as normal or they might be what is currently held as culture. 
But in terms of when we set a direction for what is the best way forward or what is the um, improvement moving forward, what, is, what are our points of development as a generation moving forward? How do we push the ball further? There are just certain things which we have to look at within our culture fabric that might need to go or might need to change and adapt. And it's a conversation, and it's an adaptive conversation. It takes time. It takes people coming to the realization sometimes of these things on their own. You can't preach to an audience whose ears are closed. That's why I asked for you. What are you doing, you as you? Yeah, so I think for what me... Are some of the ways you're, you're finding the balance between as someone who's very cautious about your... Um, even like within your family, yeah. maybe or stuff like that. Like, what are you doing personally um, to find home or to find the balance in my the darkness and, and the power yeah. you're finding? Um, the power, the power points are easy because you know those are those are high vibration feelings. They are high mm. vibration experiences. You really just go with the flow. You know, everything is beautiful. The dark side is a bit trickier. Because a lot of times I find myself trying to break patterns where the rest of my family might not be ready to break out of those patterns alongside me. And yet, because I'm aware of the value of breaking out of those patterns, I still have to implement this new person that I am becoming. I need to practice being that person, you know. So a lot of the things that I see my family kind of silently struggle with is my boundaries, you know, like my boundaries around. Uh, <laughs> boundaries, families, you African families. Even yeah, me, when like, you set a boundary. No, like, you know, there are things we which, don't know about boundaries. So <laughs> the good thing is that somehow the culture of silence comes and balances it out because like they want to say something, but at this yeah. on this end they are like ah no. Yeah. So it ends up kind of not becoming a, a a conflict point if I can say that. And so in that sense, mm. it balances itself out. You get like something which mm. ideally is not a good part of our culture, which is the silencing culture. But because yeah. the people who <laughs> people who are already there in the family unit, because that's now the thing they are in. They want to kind mm. of bring this up, but there is no real way. So it allows you, it allows mm. me some room to actually see the value of those things and seeing the adaptations of it. Um, mm. On the other side, one of the, the other benefits of something that I, I, I think I just naturally got uh, appreciation of is I really let my family tell me stories about other people in our family, you know. Uh, mm. At some point in time, I used to be like, oh, those people, who are they? But it's actually by hearing life stories of those people, you actually get to see those kind of macro patterns. Yes. You know, like you actually yes. get to that, oh my yes. God, that's my cousin from who, who, who. But what they're, yes. what they're, the way they're behaving, I can yes. see a pattern there. You know, I can see a yes. pattern there. So I actually started allowing my family. Even to, stories of your parents. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When they, like I said, like from your grandparents. You know, I kind of, like, yeah, my yeah. used to do that. Yeah, and like you know, yourself at twenty two doing the same thing. Yeah, exactly. So I kind of I kind of at first I used to be like, What? Man, we have a lot of toxic stuff. Wow, 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 we need to work on it. But after a while, as I started working on it on in myself and actually realizing that no, you know what? Culture is generational, you know. I'm not going my parents have had their time, 
they've had their time to be my mm. age, they've had their time to mature. Now it's their time to be of a certain generation. It's their time to be elders. It's their time to be, you know, I'm not going to stress them now trying to change their perspectives of culture and bring it in touch with mine. Why? Why do that to mm. them? As long as me, I'm clear on what I want to move forward with and what I'm happy to leave mm. the rest, you know. That's where my focus is mm. now a lot. I observe things. Some things I'm happy to align myself with them as culture that I would like to continue to pursue yeah. and to pass on, especially to my children. And then there are some aspects where I'm like, uh, that one I'll leave you to maybe pick up or not pick up on your own. I'll leave you the freedom to choose that. Or, or this one, absolutely, I'm not going to expose my child to this notion of doing this because of their cultural <laughs> roots, you know. That one is out. I'm picking mm. that on my own. So I, I feel like that freedom is there. And it's very yeah. individual. It's very individual best. Maybe the most you'd want to align it with is your life partner so that you, you have an easier way of creating <laughs> synergy there. You know? That's true. But That's everyone true. else really yeah. gets to set the ball where they want. And then for me, in the mm. sense of the conscious Africans, I feel like that's also an area where the, the collective is revisiting. You get Because as I do that work as Julieta, Belinda does that work as Belinda. It's different for me and you. But when we now come together and we are having those collective discussions, now we can see what is maintaining as the base point. So now we can begin to see what is culture for us now as a collective, you know, by actually sharing yeah. everyone's individual perspective of what they are keeping, taking, what they are maintaining. What You start to see a baseline of what is defining culture for you now. And then that kind of gives mm. you a baseline of what you're most likely to hold on to and carry on as things move forward, yeah? So that's yeah. how I've found it for myself. Uh, I like that. Yeah, like... Uh, because culture really is non-static. You know, we like to pretend culture is static as if the collective is not the gatekeepers of culture. Yeah. Like, if like culture, if, if culture was static, half the things that we're doing now... Yeah, would, would be not saying, be doing ah, then. Yeah. We, 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 we so I, I <laughs> yeah, I, I specifically liked what you said with in terms with your family because I find that's where the hard part in terms of because finding home in your roots is about as is just about as family as much as ancestors. Yeah, it is. I mean, and it is. It is about the family unit because it's, it's about family. Yeah, yeah. Cause, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's the way the roots. Actually, that's it's, what it's, we're it's the way at. it's the way human society is created. You know. Like, yeah. in terms of living things, eh? they are living mm. things which are communal and they are living things which are not communal, you get. Yeah. Now, human beings are interesting because we are both very individualistic and yet communal at the same time. So when you look at us in terms of individuality, that's why people need some space to themselves, healthy space, and they need to be able to function in alone, healthy. That's where you get a lot of the maximum self-retrospection, connection to self, when you can actually give yourself some time alone and hold an inducive environment for that kind of relationship with self to thrive. Then when it comes to the communal uh human nature you get you know the part of you that needs to belong to a community because it is a need to relate as a human being yeah it is a social animals animals in that sense now in a social in a in a in a sorry in a social sense you have community when you break down the community 
you're breaking it down into families. Or let us use the typical African communities or structure, right? You have a nation. Typically, a nation has a specific number of tribes in it or groupings of people of a certain tribe. In mm. tribes, people have clans. Clans is really the system in African culture to, ke- to, 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 to keep track of the family bloodline so that you avoid incest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get what yeah. I'm saying. So from clans, then you get into the family structures because the clans are the ones keeping track of how the family dynamics are changing. And then from the family dynamic, you get individuals. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how it breaks down. So once you begin to discuss the health of a community and you are not paying attention to the health of the families within that community, then you're not seeing that community for what it is. Yeah. It's all, it's, it's yeah, like family. Was, yeah. I, I think, I think why people also have a hard time with family is like you said, is when you say that with family, you kind of have to also choose your battles. Yeah. You because really it's, it's, that's why I like the, the illustration of a tree for me in this season, because yeah. pretty much family is the roots. It's a thing that it's what's keeping you like, the roots are deep, like they're deep. But what 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 people are seeing is the but you know branch, that main stem, that main thing, which is the individual, and then the branches are the community. So I feel as like much as someone you stole this analogy this from me. Tree, I feel like really? you stole this you have analogy this from me. So let me just let me just totally tell you that why I tell you that you must have literally taken that tree analogy from me. Um, I always, and for me, I used to use it in a, in a, in a context of when you're dating people and seeing how they behave, uh, especially in terms of understanding the kind of traumas they have in terms of relational patterns and where they come from. And I, I used, I used the analogy of the tree in the same way you use it. I said, you see us human beings, right? When you see a human being, what you see above the ground level is the stem and then the branches, right? A lot of times when we are trying to understand each other, we are looking at the details in the branches, right? And in the leaves on the branches. But the leaves and the branches, there are so many different leaves. I mean, you can't even get a tree and start picking off leaf by leaf and say that you're going to count them and finish them, right? Or that you're going to count, see the leaves and notice how this leaf is different from this leaf and how this leaf connects and whatnot. Basically, at that level of analysis, it's going to be hard to understand why the tree is taking the shape it is and the form it is. But when you now come to the stem, the stem is pretty stable. And the stem, at least from a scientific background of knowledge about what happens in the stem, is that it has information going up and it has information going down. You get. And if you know the information passing through the stem going up, it makes sense why the leaves are doing what they are doing upstairs. And if you look at the information coming from the leaves down, it shows you the foundation of the tree that has even given it the direction to form the stem that it has formed and the leaves which it has formed, right? So... A lot of us, when I talk about there being some kind of disconnect with our ancestry uh, history, 
uh, as Africans, our ancestry and our history in that sense as Africans, is that we we don't know what is underneath the root system. You get like we might see a, a, a fibrous root system or we might see a taproot system, but we don't actually know the information that is held within that root system underneath the ground. And many of us haven't even started saying, okay, let me expose the roots and maybe see, is it a fibrous system? Is it a taproot system? Is it a, what kind of root system is down there? You get that is forming some of this information that is affecting the kind of tree that I am becoming or that I have already begun to form certain parts of, you get eh? like certain parts of me have already formed. And similarly, when we are growing up, it's like a tree. When a tree is still young, you can prune certain parts of it and they just fall off. Nothing. You even need a pair of scissors. Toop, toop, toop. You've cut the thing. But if that tree first grows into a whole adult, now that's a whole branch carrying like 10 different other branches carrying leaves. You yeah. can't just cut off that same thing the way you would have pruned it when it was younger. You get so yeah. at the at, at I mean, we are still blessed to be discovering these things about ourselves in our more formative years. But the reason why I don't put the same pressure on, say, my aunties or my uncles or even some of my older cousins, my siblings, to mm. see them, to evaluate themselves or introspect themselves in that same way, is that I realize that some of these aspects of the areas where they would need to reflect on, they're already branches, and those branches already have leaves. You get mm, they're those so big, big yeah. So it's like <laughs> you're looking, you're looking at the information going up and down through the stem, and you're like, these veins are already fat. The reason why I've brought that up is to bring it full circle to the dating experience. Yeah, so a lot of times uh, people struggle because they want the people who they are dating to be a certain kind of person. And what I'm saying is that you, there are certain people who you date and they might have the potential to become the person who you would like mm. to be partnered with. And some people just won't have that potential. It's right there in the root system. But if you're not looking at the root system, you're busy falling in love with someone who was never going to be compatible with you. I think for me, that's one of, like in the last, I would say, three years of my dating experiences, I feel like that's been the core thing. Like sometimes you're busy falling in love with people whose root system eh, is not for just kubamuka ring. And like you realize, you, you realize real differences in the root system and you're like, hey, this, this guy, he might be amazing, <laughs> but this entire background is a bit much for me. <laughs> like it's a bit much. <laughs> So, and it's not even necessarily that that's how you determine whether you're compatible with someone or not, but it just advises you on what's possible, you know, in terms of relating with them. It, it, yeah, it makes you see reality for what it is and you kind of stop having an, an unnecessary expectations of people who are never capable of being a certain way just by virtue of their system. Sometimes I think it's also even, especially in terms of how people conflict resolve, because I realize that a lot of patterns in terms of how people conflict resolve come, a lot, they, like the influence at a family level is so strong. Yeah, someone was saying like, find out is a person like avoidant in conflict resolution? Attachment or do they style, want to like, argue yeah. and stuff and... No, like even in terms of 
conflict because you know there are mm-hmm. some people when there's conflict ah they kubamka you never hear <laughs> you don't see them <laughs> then there are those who are like okay there's conflict let's talk about let's, it still now me i'm one of those people i'm like yo let's take an hour out of our day we sit we yeah. i even show up with questions with- i'm like the first thing we're discussing <laughs> how do we trigger each other into not listening into not hearing each other into not being seen authentically uh-huh. i put down as no, you can be the whole you'll be there in ready with your notebook I you should have seen me i banange it was such a, like i'd be like how did god even make such people like how they are so shocked ah, like anyway, what uh-huh. <laughs> Because me, I would come up with all my, you get, like, I would reflect about my part. I would also, like, I would reflect about my attachment style. I account for it. I reflect on the other person's attachment style. I account for it. So by the time I'm ready for communication, I'm even open. I'm like, listen, (laughs) there's no need for us to do this in a way where we are all just, you get, everyone's going to get triggered. Everyone's just going to say, no, we have, like, we can't do this. There's a method. And then, the person just the, the first message of can we talk <laughs> nothing nothing <laughs> nothing all your points are just there you're like wow okay then you'll be there consoling yourself kale this person didn't even show up i had we this was such a healthy thing this was such a good thing for spiritual growth you know what thank lord that i am doing this work i'm healing myself i don't need anybody to take it on with me which nothing is bothering him ancestral patterns and generational trauma nonsense guys we should bring the letter back for finding home in relationships no first let me first secure one let me first Let me first you once that I I am I'm a preacher with experience because now people will be like okay madam wants to talk where your man do where the man man that's why even me for that one I was bringing this particular around they're like it's not going to be me it's not going to be me <laughs> trying to preach anything <laughs> yeah if you want to find home within yourself to to know to to know that's where yeah. I operate from <laughs> yeah anyway man Juleta, thank you so much for coming on to can we talk um i think oh, yeah. this has been a very very wide conversation i love how much you were able to share and how much knowledge as well not just your experiences but just passing on knowledge so thank you so much oh, wow. didn't really and feel like to... that i felt like i was just rambling but you know My what guy. that's but how conversation the is they have this <laughs> but yeah we're going to um, tag the cautious africans as well as a cautious aj if you want to continue following Juliette on her path um it will be in the description box below as well as the instagram so yeah that was it for this episode of can we talk a for a minute can we talk for a minute Girl, I want to know your shit. Sabali, <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you for listening to the Can We Talk podcast. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe, or share with a friend if you're loving the conversations. You can also follow us on Instagram at Can We Talk Podcast underscore under each of the words to stay in the loop. We have weekly curated Spotify playlists to go along with the themes as well as blog posts coming out every week. So till next time, can we talk?